Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. Well, this morning, uh, we, as you already know, or, or a lot of you already know, uh, we've been in 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we've been really focused on just kind of teaching uh, a series of messages that kind of coincide with that. And so the first week of our, our uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting, I talked about when we fast. And I talked about the, the idea of pursuing that fasting and prayer is about pursuing the one thing that Mary chose to do, which was sit at Jesus' feet. And last week, I think it was absolutely fitting, Pastor Dwight talked about endurance. Because how many of you, uh, fasting and prayer was really fun for about three days? And then it was like, oh my gosh, I got 18 more days of this. And so what a fitting message to talk about. And so this morning, I want to talk about the topic of prayer. And I think you already know just by what happened, prayer matters. Prayer is powerful. I want to give you a testimony just at the start of this. I was talking to Jim Rowley, and uh, Jim is a uh, daily evangelist. He is a daily evangelist. I, I, I need Jim to come up at service and pray an impartation of evangelism on everybody in the room. He's a daily evangelist. And every single morning uh, he goes to Chick-fil-A. I hope he's bought stock in the company because he is, uh, he's definitely increasing the valuation of the company by being there every single day. But every single day he passes out tracks every day. And in this particular Chick-fil-A, uh, there happened to be a lot of DoorDash uh, deliverers. And uh, in this one, he has said that he's had uh, multiple interactions with Muslims that come in uh, that do DoorDash. And so he passes out tracks to everybody. And he said this, this, this man came in that was e- extremely intimidating looking. Very tall, very stoic, stern face, very, very thick beard. And... Uh, So Jim, being Jim, passed him a track. And on the back side of this track, the question was, are you depressed? And so the man picked up the track and said, what's this? And he said, "It's, it's a track about the message of Jesus. And he flipped it over and it said, are you depressed? And he said, man, I am so depressed. And Jim really at that moment said, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah, and he said, devil in Jesus' name, I rebuke that spirit of depression. And he, he's in the middle of Chick-fil-A, casting out demons and ministering to this guy, and the guy just loses it, just is breaking down, weeping in the store. And Jim is so overwhelmed by his reaction that he starts weeping. And so they finally get to the end of the prayer. The guy walks to the door and turns around, and he says, thank you so much for what you just did. I needed that. I needed it. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. Don't ever underestimate you praying for someone that you come across. Because here's the thing. You get familiar with the anointing that you have. And you don't even think anything happens until you come across someone that has not been exposed to the anointing of God. And they have a sensitivity you don't have because familiarity often breeds contempt. And we don't even know what we're carrying. We're like those in John 2 with Jesus. We're like the, the, pitcher, the, the, the waiters that are carrying the pitchers. And he said, just go put 
uh, fill up your pitchers with water and carry it. They didn't even know they were carrying a miracle until they poured it out. When you pray, things happen. And Martin Luther King talked about this. He said to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. It is absolutely vital to our lives. James 5.16 says, for tremendous power, this is in the Passion Translation, for tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. See, prayer is something that is to be passionate. And if you were here at our Wednesday night meeting, you felt it. Because that was a powerful prayer meeting. The, the things that people were speaking, there was a power that was released in those prayers. Prayer is powerful. Prayer matters. And so this morning, I want to talk to you on the topic of prayer. But more specifically, I want to talk to you from the topic, when you pray. When you pray. So as we get started, let's, let's just join together and pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you where two or more are gathered. There you are in our midst. And God, you're already here. You've already shown yourself here. God, thank you for Tony's courage. Thank you for his bravery to make his story known unashamed. Because God, when we're set free, we don't care what people think. And so Jesus, I pray today, God, as we talk about prayer, I pray for an impartation to come upon our people to begin to love prayer to begin to understand the heart behind it. And Lord, that it doesn't have to be something, Lord, that is a struggle, but it can be a place of freedom and joy in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount. And this is the, um, so many theologians say this is the pinnacle sermon that has ever been spoken before. But he's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Thousands are gathered around him, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious elders, rulers, teachers, and also just common everyday people. And he's talking about a lot of different topics. And then we, he kind of changes direct, directions in Matthew chapter 6. And he begins to have a, a discourse or a dissertation on the topic of prayer. And in Matthew 6, 5, there's three very important words that he starts out this discourse on prayer with. He says, when you pray. Now I want you to notice that Jesus didn't say if you pray. He said when you pray. And what that tells us is that there is an implication here by Jesus that he expects people who follow him to be a people of prayer. He's, a, he's not saying, hey, uh, this is a suggestion. He's, he is making an assumption that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, that prayer is a part of your consistency. And I want to add to that no matter your spiritual maturity. Some people can look at prayer and they can look at the way that people pray and they can begin to believe that their prayers aren't powerful or, their, or they, their prayers don't matter or they could never pray like that. Let me tell you something. God can make sense out of confusion. <laughs> God can make sense and it would be the enemy 
to try to rob you of the authority and power you have in, by, in prayer by telling you that the way you're praying or how you're praying doesn't matter. He said, when you pray, he has an expectation that his followers would be people of prayer. But how many of you know that just because there's an expectation doesn't mean it's easy? You know, when we started this 21 days of prayer and fasting, I had a full expectation that I'd be able to endure this thing. And like I said, three days in, I'm like, this is not fun anymore. Just because there's an expectation doesn't mean it's easy. And I think if we're all honest, every one of us during this 21 days of prayer and fasting has struggled at some point with prayer and fasting. You, maybe, you've, you, maybe you were strong day one, day two, and then day seven, your prayer was like 30 seconds. Because you're like, I just, I, how many of y'all run out of stuff to pray? Like you just, I, okay, Lord, amen. <laughs> oh, let's take it another, let's take it another step further. I think if we're all honest, we've all struggled with this prayer period. And I think there's a reason why. Because prayer is not something that's natural. We don't live in a culture where it's natural to go in a room by yourself and talk out loud to an entity that's not in the room. It's just not natural. It's not something that's easy to come by. Now, if it's natural for you, more power to you. But I know prayer wasn't natural for me. And one of the things that I want to encourage you with about prayer is prayer is something you have to learn. It's not something that just comes easy. You know why? Because some of us have struggles even articulating our hearts. <laughs> doesn't Proverbs, especially men, doesn't, doesn't Proverbs say that the, the heart of a man is like deep waters? Who can even understand it all? And I have found in my life that there have been times where I have gone with a sincerity of heart to pray, but I have come to the point where I don't even know what to say. Thank God for the ability to pray in the Spirit. I think that's why Paul said pray at all times in the Spirit, because even Paul didn't even know what to pray all the time. Paul's just like, I'm a man just like everybody else. Thank God for tongues, because when I don't know how to articulate English, I'll just start praying in the Spirit, and I will feel like I'm doing something effective. By the way, I just want to encourage you to not neglect the gift of speaking in tongues. Do not neglect that gift. Some of you have spoken in tongues and you stopped. Why'd you stop? Why did you neglect the gift? So many times in my prayer experience, if I start speaking in tongues, it like cultivates this atmosphere of prayer within my heart that causes things to come to the surface that I can start to articulate in English. It's so important for you to not neglect the gift of tongues. And by the way, that's awkward too. Tongues is awkward as it starts, but so is learning to speak in English. So is learning to speak at the first, in the first place. When you come out of the womb and you begin to say things, you don't start in paragraphs, you start in syllables. Do, do we not understand that tongues mirrors the way that our natural language develops? My, my, my prayer language now is totally different than when it first started. For, when it first started, for a year, it was da-da-da-da-da. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like three syllables, right? People are like, what are you doing? Shut up. Mind your business. Mind your business. I don't have a stutter. 
Da-da-da-da-da. But we've all struggled with, with prayer. We've all struggled with not knowing what to say. We can't seem to find the right words to express to God. <laughs> I don't know about you, but like I've read stories and biographies of these powerful people of prayer that have prayed for like 24 hours. And I'm like, how? How do you pray for 24 hours? And then, and then, I, and then I don't know about you, but like I've tried it. Like you, 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 you wake up and you're like, today's the day where I'm going to just go in on prayer. And like after five minutes, you're like, and so God, um, amen. Like, and then you're like, how? How do people even do that? Or you get before God and you start talking out loud by yourself and you become increasingly aware of the awkwardness of talking to someone that's not tangibly in the room in the way that you would know it. Prayer can be a struggle. It's something we have to learn. I remember the first time that I started to learn how to pray. I'd grown up in a Christian home, heard my parents pray, heard several different people at different times pray, but one of the things that I want to encourage you with is that if you struggle with prayer, learn from what you're hearing other people pray. It's not, it, there's no shame in that game. When I was a teenager, we would have these prayer circles. And if you've ever been a part of the prayer circle where they squeeze the hand, that means it's your time to pray. And so you're filled with anxiety for about 90 seconds as everyone else is praying. Like, what am I going to pray? What am I going to pray? What am I going to pray? What am I gonna... That's like tongues right now. But you're, you're just like freaking out. But I remember at the time, what was so popular in the style of prayer at the time was everybody said Father God about 18 million times in their prayer. Father God, I just thank you, Father God. God, I just thank you, Father God, for what you're doing, Father God. Father God, touch this person. Father God, it Jesus. Father God, blesses. And it was just, so what did I do? I'm just like, well, I guess I say Father God. And so that became the, the foundation of my prayer life. But I want to encourage you that don't separate yourself from the disciples because the disciples didn't even know how to pray. We see this in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. You don't have to turn there. I'm just referencing it, but you can write it down. The disciples say this to Jesus. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John also taught his disciples. Now, what's interesting about that is they were immersed in a prayer culture. They heard people praying all the time. Matter of fact, they memorized prayers to pray on a daily basis. But I want you to see this. They saw something different in the way Jesus prayed from every other person that they saw pray. There was something about, about the way that, that Jesus was interacting with God in prayer that set him apart in their senses to say, you know what, I've heard a lot of people pray, but I don't know what that is. Teach me how to do that. And so if we're going to learn how to pray, who should we be looking towards? We should be looking towards Jesus. So if Jesus says when we pray, which means that we should be praying, then what is our prayer life supposed to be look like to, or to look like? To answer that question, we got to look at what Jesus did and what Jesus said. And here's the first point that I want to make on the topic of prayer. The first thing we see from the life of Jesus in regards to pray, how Jesus prayed was that Jesus often prayed first before everything, anything else. Jesus often prayed 
First, Jesus was proactive in prayer, not reactive in prayer. I think we're often reactive. I think, I think, um, I think the mess hits the fan, to put it nicely, and then we start to pray. Rather than being proactive in prayer. And I want to encourage you about this idea, this principle of prayer, that when you pray first, when you pray first and you set the course of your day in prayer, there are things that never come your way that you will never know could have happened. And you think that prayer doesn't matter because you didn't experience them. Praise God that you don't have to react to a situation in prayer, but you can be proactive in prayer to avoid potential issues. Jesus prayed first in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, another scripture I'll reference, you can write it down. It says, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. He got up early. Got up early. Chris Hodges, a pastor at Church of the Highlands in Alabama, said this. He said about developing a lifestyle where prayer comes first. He said, God can certainly listen to your prayer at any time of the day, but there's something about giving God the first part of your day to pray. There's something different about giving God the first. Why did we decide to do 21 days of prayer and fasting in January? The answer is because everybody else was doing it. No, I'm kidding. The answer it's because we want to give God the first month of the year. Because there's power in giving him the first. Why do we go to church on the first day of the week? Because it's the first. Why do we tithe? Tithe is not just 10%. According to scripture, tithe is the first 10%. There's something about doing these things where we are giving God our first so why is it important to make prayer a priority at the beginning of your day? Because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Look at that right now. My Bible, it's one page over. If you're there, say, I'm there. But seek first, say it with me, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, I want, I want to talk to you about the things. Because I love what Tony said. Tony said that his sponsor said to, said to him, stop worrying. He said, stop worrying. Have you taken that out of God's hands? If you have, get off the phone with me, pray, put it back in God's hands, and then don't take it out of his hands again. I want you to understand the context of Matthew 6.33. Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom. This is a Hobby Lobby. Put it on the wall. People, you know, people put it on, you know, they get like the stencils and they put it on the wall and everything. Everybody walks in the house. They're like, oh, that's so cute. Where'd you get it? Hobby Lobby. Everybody knows. But the context of this is in a conversation about worry. Listen to what Jesus says if we back up to verse 31. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear for clothing? See, I, 
This is, this is, he's not just talking about three specific things and limiting to that. I think he's talking about the idea of the daily practical things in our life that we worry about. Whatever you worry about, insert it in there. Now, this is what's so powerful. For the pagans or Gentiles seek after all these things, for, but your heavenly father knows that you need them. The difference between you and someone who doesn't believe in Jesus is that the person who doesn't believe in Jesus has to make it happen, you don't. Because you have a father, you have a heavenly father that loves you, that cares for you, that wants to provide for you, that doesn't want anxiety and worry to be your portion. And so Jesus, remember, everything that Jesus said was because the Father is telling Jesus, tell them this right now. Tell them this right now. Say this right now. They need to know the heart of the Father. Jesus revealed the heart of the Father here. Don't worry because you have a Father in heaven that loves you. But the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But so then, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is the context of why he said what he said. See, the way out of worry is seeking first the kingdom in prayer. Prayer, in my experience, pushes my worry away. I can tell you for a fact that, why, that I worry most when I don't pray first. I'm just telling you. If I sit down at the beginning of my day and commit my day to Jesus, I know that I have done the most, the, the top priority thing, which is to put my day in Jesus's hands. And there's a security and there's a peace, no matter what comes, because there are days where I do that and I get a flat tire. Hallelujah, Betty. There's, a, there's days that I do that and things happened that I didn't see coming. But the amazing thing is because I put my day in God's hands, because I put prayer first, when those things come, I'm not troubled as much because I know God's got it. I have put my life in his hands. So often when we don't take the time at the beginning of the day to give God our focus, the day gets away from us. It just, it, it's like, it, it, it just, just, your day takes control of you instead of you taking control of your day. John Bunyan, I love this quote, he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. He said this, he who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him the rest of the day. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> Often what happens in that situation is that you're so exhausted from the, the, just the, the running of your day that your prayer is on your pillow. God, thank you, I got through. This next quote, has stuck with me in this time of 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's by C.S. Lewis, and this has been the choice I've made. The moment you wake up in the morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in shoving it all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. I can't tell you, I have put this into practice. I get up in the morning, sometimes earlier than other times, but the first thing I do is I go downstairs and I get on my knees. 
because I refuse to allow the day to rush in. I have to push it back because I have to tell my day, this is not your time. This is time for me to commune with the Father and to follow the quieter life that flows in. John Bunyan said this again, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. You can do more than pray after you've done it, but I'm telling you, you can't do more than until you've actually done it. So when you pray, pray to begin your day. We saw that, see that in the life of Jesus. And then the second thing we learn about prayer from the life of Jesus is that when you pray, pray then in this way. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 if you aren't already there. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, we're going to read through this passage again together. It's a very familiar passage. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. This is from the New American Standard, uh, so please try to follow along the way that you can. But when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. In other words, they have the applause of men. That's their reward. But when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying... Do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. I want to encourage you. You should pray a lot, but don't condemn yourself and force yourself into a religious, rigid structure in prayer by feeling like you're more justified because you prayed for an hour. You just repeated the same thing over and over again. Don't do that to yourself. If you want to know the equation for killing the joy out of your prayer life, do that. Don't get stuck in a rigid structure. It said meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. <laughs> so don't be like them. And once again, I want you to see this. For your Father knows what you need before you say it. So pray then in this way. It goes on in verse 9. Our Father who is in heaven... Come on, say it with me. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So what can we learn from this? First and foremost, pray then in this way doesn't mean pray these exact words. Pray then in this way doesn't mean pray these exact words. If that was the case, then Jesus would have never said what he said about meaningless repetition. And so often the Lord's Prayer gets confined to just repeating whatever has been said here instead of understanding that when Jesus said pray this in, in this way, he was exposing a model. He was establishing a template. 
He was giving you a pattern for prayer, not the words to pray themselves. And so every one of these things within this prayer that Jesus is teaching the disciples is actually supposed to shape the way that you approach to God, or your, your approach to God, and also shape the way that you pray. I believe that in this model are just attributes that should be part of your prayer life. And the first one here is this. And, and, and I want to just emphasize this one thing. That when Jesus is praying this, he is establishing what you and I should be able to expect from the Father. Because once again, Jesus is revealing the Father. So he's saying, I'm telling you to pray this way because this is what the Father's telling me to tell you. You should pray this way because this reveals what you can expect from the Father. So the first thing I want you to, to, to encourage you with when you pray and how you should pray is this. Pray known, knowing that you're talking to Father, your Father, not God. I understand that God is, is Father. I know, that, I know God is God, and I know that we should revere him that way. But Jesus came into the world to reconcile humanity back to the Father. He came to establish a relationship with us as sons and daughters of God, not just with God, but with God as Father. That changes the way you pray. It changes the way you pray because this is not supposed to be some rigid, holy structure. This is supposed to be a conversation with your dad. You are talking to your father. Now, some of us, the reason why that's difficult is I'm very aware that dads in the natural were distant or not there at all, or you couldn't approach God that way. But I want you to understand whatever your concept of father is, God is the ideal. God is the ideal. What you may not have been able to do with your father, you can approach God that way. He's a good father. He is leaning in to listen to you. Thank God that he's omnipresent, that he can commune with every single one of us through the Holy Spirit at any time that we pray. His fatherhood should shape the way that we pray. In Romans 8, 15, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba was the most innocent, vulnerable name to give your dad. It was, it was so relational. So when we pray, we're not praying to God alone. We're praying to God as Father. And I know people know that, but I don't want you to miss that. It changes the joy that you have. You're having a conversation with your dad. Number two, in your time of prayer, worship him. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this and then in this way, hallowed be your name. If you don't know what to pray, worship. Because I'm telling you that as you worship Jesus in prayer, it begins to shape the way that you pray. He said, hallowed be your name. Those are worshiping words. And Revelation, I want you to write this down. Revelation 5, chapter 5, verse 8, actually talks about harp and bowl. If you don't know what harp and bowl is this, 
There's a picture that John sees that in, in heaven, there are angels that are playing their harps, worshiping in music, making music to the Lord, but they are also holding on to bowls that Revelation 5.8 says that are the prayers of the saints coming up before God. There is this interconnection and this, inter, this, this intertwining of worship and prayer. We saw that on Wednesday night. That when Ian and Amy were here during that time of prayer, I'm telling you, <laughs> this is not like us saying, hey guys, can you be at every meeting? But it kind of, it kind of is pray about it. But I'm just saying, <laughs> it's not me, it's him. But I'm just saying that the way that we prayed changed because worship was a part. It just changes it. It changes the dynamic. It changes the atmosphere. Your prayers personally will be shaped differently by this. And here's why. Because as you build his throne, his presence comes, and there is an infusion of expectation and faith coming out of worshiping him that starts to change the way that you pray. It just happens. Harp and bowl. It builds your faith. It gives you excitement. Number three, pray his agenda before your agenda. I believe there's an order here. Jesus said, pray then this way, our Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray his agenda before your agenda. Part of being a follower of Jesus is about caring about what he cares about, about lifting up his agenda to him. See, when you pray God's will before your will, it will change what you pray when you get to praying your will. <laughs> you know why? Because I'm just telling you this, that when you start praying God's will before your will, you will quickly realize that some of your will was so petty, it doesn't even deserve to be said. <laughs> you start to pray and you're just like, you start praying God's, you're like, wow, really the world is much bigger than me? I'm, you start to repent about the things you were requesting. You're just like, I'm sorry, God, that was just so petty of me and selfish. It's, I'm sorry. But praying your will, praying his will before your will will change the way you pray when you get to your will. Remember when Jesus said this in Matthew 6, And by the way, if you went through this process, you're approaching God as Father, you're worshiping and praying, and you're praying to, your, to his will, and you never get to yours, you're going to be totally fine. And here's why. Because when you seek first the kingdom, all these things get added. Because your father knows what you need before you pray. <laughs> you don't even need to get to your will. If you pray his will before your will, your will will be okay. And I love shaping it this way. When you focus on God's agenda, God will focus on yours. When you focus on God's agenda, God will focus on yours. The Living Bible, I love this translation of Luke 12, 31. I, I just put it up here because I wanted you to see it. He will always give you all you need from day to day if you will make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Such a great truth and approach. Number, one, number four, pray for God's provision. I want you to see this. <laughs> Ian said, yes, Lord. I'm surprised nobody else said Amen. You will want God's provision over your ability to provide. And when the Father tells Jesus, tell them to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he's saying, I'm Jehovah Jireh. 
I'm a provider and you're not. And I can do on your behalf what you can't do through your own striving and work. That doesn't mean that we just sit around and we don't work all day. Sorry, that does not mean that. The <laughs> Bible says very clearly that we should be stewards and work. But we know that even if we work as much as possible, we could still lack. And God is the one that's a provider. He said, pray them this way. Give us this day our daily bread. I want to share a testimony about this, about this, just a, a miraculous provision. Jared and Leah are obviously getting engaged, and so they're trying to have all the ducks in a row and trying to uh, get things together uh, just for the future. And uh, Jared shared this testimony with me. It was just absolutely incredible. And I asked him if we could share it this morning. Um, so Jared, why don't you come up right now? So I'm just messing with you. <laughs> 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 but um, Jared said, I got to tell you this. He said, um, we were looking at apartments to move into. And first of all, apartment rent is extremely expensive these days and hard to come by. There's a lot of places that are overly booked. Well, they were able to find a place. And so uh, the, the people call him and said, hey, you know, we got a couple of fees that you're going to have to pay up front. Now, if you've ever been in Jared's shoes, you may have known that up front, but I didn't know that. <laughs> There's so many things you just don't know until you get into it. And so there was an application fee, and there, you know, there was also a first, first deposit. And the application fee was 250 bucks. Isn't that crazy? Like, and the deposit was $1,000. So now it's like, yay, we got an apartment. We're broke. I, you know what adulthood is just finding out you're really broke. One thousand percent. I'm joking. I'm joking. For some of us in the room, I'm kidding. But hey, praise God, we got an apartment. Now we owe twelve hundred and fifty dollars. That day, Jared gets a check for two hundred and fifty bucks. And that same day, or the day after, Leah comes in and says, "You will never." know what happened. I babysit a family. They gave me a Christmas bonus of $1,000. Your father knows what you need. He's a provider. He's Jehovah Jireh. Sure, they could have put their coins together and made that happen, but God was like, I got you guys. And that day and the day after, the very money they need to the cent comes in to be able to pay that. How crazy is that? Give us this day our daily bread. Pray for forgiveness, number five. Here's why. Because when you are aware of your own forgiveness, it's really easy to forgive other people. The people that struggle to forgive don't know where they came from. They forgot. Jesus said, of the woman that was washing his feet, he said, whoever is forgiven much loves much. Your capacity to live, love other people through forgiveness increases when you become aware of your own need forgiveness and how Jesus forgave you. Whoever forgives much loves much. So this, was, this is one, I love this one because this is Jesus setting you up like you can't harbor that forever. Pray for your forgiveness. 
Father, forgive us of our debts as we forgive the debts of others. <laughs> He's setting you up. You can't hold bitterness and resentment for the rest of your life. So the Father's saying, hey, pray for forgiveness and forgive. Number six, I'm getting ready to close in a minute, and I'm, I'm being so honest. Too many lies from the pulpit here. No, I'm kidding. Number six, pray for protection from the enemy. Pray for protection from the enemy. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You already know that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you don't think he has an agenda, he has an agenda. And I can tell you through these 21 days of prayer and fasting, I am really grateful that the enemy has showed his hand of opposition because that shows us that we're moving in the right direction. Thank you for just letting us know that this is where we're supposed to go by increasing the resistance to it. But as Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail. Can I get an amen? amen? But that doesn't mean that we're foolish. That means that we can be proactive in praying that God would help us to have blinders on from potential temptation, but also to deliver us from the evil one. In other words, God, I pray that the agenda of the enemy against me would fall flat on its face. Pray then in this way. I want to encourage you in Ephesians 6 to pray through the full armor of God. Pray through it. Pray through the full armor of God. Pray that you have the helmet of salvation. That's not just like, this is not children's ministry. This is real. Because you know what the helmet of salvation is? It is the mind of Christ. Pray that you have the helmet of salvation in, on, which is the mind of Christ, that, God, that the enemy would not be able to buffer and begin to torment and begin to fill your thought life with things that cause worry and anxiety and distress. Put that helmet of salvation on. Equip yourself with the breastplate of righteousness that you can walk unashamed and free. Put on the belt of truth. My God, this is so important. The belt of truth, you know why it's the belt of truth? Because you can't run well without your belt on. And you need to understand that not only that fact, but the belt is the core of the body. The belt of truth, the truth of God's word needs to be the core of who you are. So declaring these things and praying these things over yourself. Lastly, and this is one of my favorites, declare your trust in Jesus. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. In other words, God, the reason why I have come before you is because all authority belongs to you, all power flows from you, and God, you will get glory in my life, and I am glaringly aware that I do not have the capacity within myself to carry all these things alone, so I'm laying them before your feet because it's your, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I believe that when we see this model of prayer and we begin to put these elements into our prayer life, I'm telling you, it's going to increase your prayer life. I started praying through the Lord's Prayer, not repeating it over and over. I started praying through these facets of my prayer. And the time that I pray and the enjoyment of my prayer, 
How many of you have you been, been a part of a prayer time that has gone an hour and you didn't even know that it was an hour because of just how you were enjoying the time? That happens when you begin to take these things that Jesus taught us to pray and incorporate them in the way that you approach God in prayer. You know what I love going back to Tony's testimony is that he was proactive in prayer. And then I prayed. And then I prayed. And then I prayed again. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And we saw the miracles that took place. Prayer is powerful. Will you stand with me this morning? I just want to, I want to pray encouragement in this room. For people in the room that just feel like they struggle in prayer, I want to pray encouragement that prayer would become a place of joy, a place of delight, that you would love to pray. And I also want to encourage you with this, that there is, in my experience, there has been a condemnation about my prayer life has been a main target of the enemy to try to discourage me to not even pray. And I want to pray against that in your life. I want to pray against that because the enemy wants to wear you down and he wants to discourage you to, tell you, to try to get you to stop praying because he knows the power of it. Anywhere where there is resistance is affirmation of power. I'm telling you that right now. And I remember as a, as a teenager, I was praying and a guy came up to me to, to break off that discouragement. He said, he said, the Lord is showing me that you have been in your room and you have been praying and you've been feeling like everything you speak hits the ceiling and never gets beyond that. But he said, I want you to know that the Lord hears your prayers. He hears his children because he's a good father. So if you're in the room this morning and you just... You just struggle with prayer. It's, it's, like, it's just like that oh, drudgery thing. It's like, oh man, I, I, I know I should pray. I don't want to pray, but I know I should pray. I just want to pray for joy and encouragement. I want to pray against the condemnation of the enemy right now. So if that's you, just lift your hands up. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray over every single person in the room where the enemy has tried to come and rob the joy of praying. Rob them of the experience of prayer. Rob them of the privilege of prayer, of the right as sons and daughters to pray. God, I pray right now that there would be an impartation in their hearts to understand that prayer is the inheritance of, our, of his children that we have the ability to boldly come before the throne of grace, that we might help find our help in time of need. So God, I break off discouragement. I break, break off depression. I break off the lies of the enemy that say this doesn't matter. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to change anything. And God, I pray where there was discouragement, I pray there would be joy. God, I pray there would be excitement. I pray there would be expectation. I pray there would be anticipation, God. And I pray that joy would, uh, that prayer would become the delight of every person in this room that's been discouraged. And God, I silence the mouth of the enemy that would bring condemnation, that would say, you're not praying long enough. You're not even praying the right words. God's not going to hear you because of this sin or that sin. I break off those lies of the enemy that would want to bring discouragement and condemnation and try to, in the most, one of the most intimate experiences with God in prayer, to try to produce shame. 
I speak shame on the enemy for that. That that would be a place of love and acceptance and peace. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would become a people that learn to pray just like you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week for our final, final one. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.